Good morning, church. We'll be reading from the first letter of John in the second chapter, verses 7 through 11. And that's on page 1021 in your pew Bibles. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Justin Darris. For those of you that I haven't met, I'm one of the elders here, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity we have to study God's Word together. Last time I was up here, I made two mistakes. One was my hair was too long, and two, I didn't put enough gel in it, and so I was constantly fighting it. And so I got a haircut, and I loaded it up with gel so that it's frozen in time so that I can focus just on preaching this morning. Have you, have you ever noticed how many tests we have to take throughout all of our life? Think about a few months ago when our son Eli was born. Um, I think after the first day, maybe, maybe even the, a few hours after he was born, we have him in the room, they wheel him away for his hearing evaluation. He has to take a hearing test to make sure that he can hear okay. You think about um, as you get a little bit older and you start going to school, all of a sudden you have to take these things called tests, whether it's reading or math or history. You have to prove that you understand the material. Uh, you think about as you get a little bit older, you're 16, I think it's at least it was 16 in New York State, it's probably 16 here. Uh, you get to take a road test to prove whether or not you're ready to drive a vehicle. And it's, of course, you know, um, you have to prove that you know the most important skill of driving, which is parallel parking, of course. <laughs> it is funny because I do wonder if uh, driving around in Philadelphia, it does seem like the road test is just a sham. Um, people driving like crazy. Um, but it is what it is. You think about it, as you get a little bit older throughout life, um, depending on what your occupation is, you have to take some kind of test, um, some kind of assessment so that you can go on to the next step of your career. If you're a lawyer, you need to pass a bar exam so that you can practice law in that particular state. You need to be able to prove that you understand the law and that you can practice it. What's odd is that there are some things that are really important that we don't have to take tests for. A few months ago, Kelsey and I had a baby. You don't need to take a test to take a baby home. You just take that baby home. Um, you would think the most important thing in the world and uh, no qualifications needed, just go for it. But we see life is full of tests. And lately, as we've been studying 1 John, John has been giving us a series of tests to help us understand who we are. John is giving us a series of tests to help us understand, do we have fellowship with God? Do we, uh, do we know if we are in Christ? He's giving us tests to help us understand are we walking in the light? This morning, we'll see that in 
1 John chapter 2, John is giving us the test so that we can prove that we are walking in the light. And we do that by loving one another. And that's our main point this morning. We prove we are walking in the light when we love one another. And so to better understand that main point, we're going to stop at a few, a few different places. We're first going to see this old but new command. Then we're going to see the test itself um, and what John says that test is. And then we're going to finish with the results. Based on how you scored in that test, what are the results that you can expect afterwards? So first, let's look at this old but new command. What is this command? Well, we can see from the context here in verses 7 through 11 that this command is focused on loving one another. You see there in um, verse 9, whoever says, uh, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. So we see here that the, the focus of this command is love for our brother. Um, John is, is really, um, he's, he's taking love and hate and pitting those two things against each other. And so what we can gather from that is there's not really middle ground. We're either loving our brothers and sisters or we are hating our brothers and sisters. Um, and so this command is to love one another. But it does get a little confusing, right? Because we see John start off by saying, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment. And then in verse 8, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. So what's going on there? Why does John say that? Well, we have to ask the question, what makes this commandment old? Well, there's two ways this commandment is old. First, if you think back to the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus, God gives his people this command to love your neighbor as yourself. And so throughout all of time, love for neighbor, love for brother, love for sister has been core to the Christian faith. So it's old in that it's been around since the beginning of the scriptures. But it's also old to this particular group of people. Why is that? Well, you see, the people that John is writing to, when they heard the gospel message, they were hearing this commandment to love their brothers and sisters along with it. You see um, in verse 7, the last line of verse 7 says, the old commandment is the word that you have heard. And so when they originally heard the gospel call, the call to faith and repentance in Christ, they were also hearing that as a follower of Christ, you are called to love your family. You're called to love your brothers and your sisters. So it wouldn't be anything new to them. It would be like the first, the first thing they learn about Christianity. And we have that with some of the things that we do, right? Think about when I, uh, when I grew up playing baseball, especially early on when you're learning to play the infield. The first rule is keep your body in front of the ball. You know, don't just step your body in front of it. Um, that's the first rule of playing defense in the infield. I think of um, myself as a Buffalo Bills fan, teaching my son to be a Buffalo Bills fan. The first rule is that we hate the New England Patriots, right? <laughs> or we would have accepted Tom Brady stinks, all right? That's, that's, that's the first rule that you come across as a Bills fan. Think about the first rule of marriage. If you're a man and your wife asks you if it looks like she's gained weight, the answer is always no. That's always the right answer. These are some of the rules that we come across um, in different things in life. And so the first rule for the people in uh, the church here that John is writing to is love 
one another. You're called to love one another. So it's an old commandment, but it's also a new commandment. And why is it a new commandment? Well, John's making a connection here to what Christ said in John 13. So Christ is with his disciples, and he's um, there in the, uh, right before they have the Last Supper. And he's talking to them, um, and he says this. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And so Jesus says, this is a new kind of commandment. It's a commandment to love one another as my followers. And he goes on to say that in your love, as you love one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. And so John uses that word new because he's connecting it to what Christ is saying. But it's also new in the sense that there's something new happening. There's something different going on. If you look at uh, verse 8, he says, At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. What John is saying is this new commandment is being expressed. The true expression of this commandment is being manifested in Christ and in us. And so there's a new way of living as new covenant Christians. When Christ came to earth and lived perfectly, when he died, when he rose again, he inaugurated this new covenant, this new creation, and this was the anthem of his people, to love one another. And so Jesus has started something new, and that, that expression leads to darkness passing away. We see that in the next line. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. John is saying that there's something new happening. Before you lived in a world covered in darkness, but now the true light is shining. And this is a reference to John's earlier um, gospel. John 1 verse 9 says this, talking about Jesus, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And so when Jesus came, a true light was shining into the world and continues to shine and will only burn brighter as time goes on until he comes back again. So this command is to love one another. It's a command we've heard for a long time, but it's new in the sense that Jesus has brought about new meaning um, when he came, lived on earth, died, and rose again. So that's the command. That's the first part. We understand that we are called to love one another. But John is communicating that this is a kind of test. This command, it's a basis for a test for our faith. He's asking, how do we know that we are in Christ? How do we know that we are walking in the light? Well, he says, we know we're walking in the light if we love our brother. And he makes it very clear. If you hate your brother, you're in darkness. If you love your brother, you're walking in light. He's communicating that we prove we are walking in the light when we love one another. But we have to ask some questions, okay? So John says, uh, he, he's telling us to love our brother, but what does that actually mean? You know, we don't want to just, we don't want to take it for granted. Does that mean our physical family? What does that actually mean? Well, again, we think back to Christ's command in John 13. And in that command, we already talked about it, how he's commanded us to love one another. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
So this is a command for the disciples, for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ and are now following him. It's a command to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can even make this more specific for ourselves. So yes, it's a command to broadly love all those who are disciples of Christ. But most specifically, it's a command to love the people here, the people that are a part of our local family, our local community of believers. And so as I'm thinking through, uh, as I'm getting ready to preach this Sunday, I'm thinking about, I need to hear this so that I can, I can grow in my love for you. And as you hear these words, you can be thinking about, how can I grow in my love for the person next to me, for those that are in my community group, for those that I see on a regular basis? This command, it's for us, so that we might grow in love as a family of believers. So it's a command to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. But then we have to ask the question, how do we grow in love? And what does it actually look like to love our brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, there's three ways um, that I want to think through, or maybe three categories that we can think through when it comes to growing in our love for one another. And those categories are um, we can love in thought, we can love in word, and we can love in deed. So let's take a look at what does it mean to love in thought? Well, one way we can think about our thoughts is that our thoughts, our thoughts about others, lay a foundation for how we will treat them. Our thoughts about others, it lays a foundation for how we view them and for how we relate to them. Let me give you an example of this. Um, let's say that there's someone who um, has come to us numerous times asking for help. Um, maybe, maybe they just have a lot on their mind, a lot on their hearts, and they want to take time to talk to us. Um, and it happens over and over and over again. Or maybe it's someone who needs a lot of help, needs a lot of favor, something like that. If we're, if we're not careful, we can begin to think of a person like that as maybe a roadblock. You know, there's someone that's in the way of my life. You know, I'm trying to raise my family. I'm trying to work hard. I'm trying to, you know, you name it, whatever it is. And this person keeps getting in the way. They're a roadblock. They're an obstacle. Well, that's going to determine the way we talk to them. It's going to determine the way we treat them. It's going to affect our relationship with them in some way. But on the flip side, we can think of them as someone who's made in the image of God. I think when God created us all, he puts his image in us. We are now image bearers of the creator. When God looks at us, he sees worth and value because we are made in his image. And so when we begin to view people as image bearers of God, it can start to change the way we talk to them. It changes the way we relate to them. You can think of it like this. Perhaps someone, um, you know, uh, perhaps there's someone in your life that you think of that anytime I'm around them, they just seem to be a nuisance. Maybe they draw a lot of attention to themselves. Um, there's someone that's kind of frustrating to interact with. They're just kind of a nuisance. That's one way of looking at them. But another way to look at it is this person is a child of God. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue them from their sins so that they can be his child. And when we think of people as children of God, it changes the way we think of them, and it changes the way we relate to them. 
See, we are all God's prized possession. We see at other places in Scripture, um, we're called God's inheritance. God loves us so, so deeply. Each and every one of us has worth because of God, because God thinks we have worth, not because we've done something so good, but because we're made in his image and because he's rescued us from our sin. And so he is calling us when we think of others not to view them in a, in a selfish way, not to view them as a roadblock, not to view them as a nuisance, not to view them as a frustration, but to view others as children of God, to view others as God's prized possession. And it will change the way we relate to them. So we love each other in the way we think, but we can also love each other in our words. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We would do well to ask ourselves before we speak, is what I'm about to say, is it going to build someone up or is it going to tear someone down? Is what I'm about to say, is it going to give grace to the people that hear it? Or is it going to spread toxicity towards those who hear my words? See, especially in our culture where we're very quick to speak and slow to listen, how often we sin against one another and we show hatred towards one another with our words. You can think about, especially right now, we just prayed for the elections coming up. Right now, I mean, if you watch TV that has commercials, you've probably seen, you know, some of the political ads, right? You know, Dr. Oz isn't even from Pennsylvania, all of that thing. <laughs> Dr. Oz lives with his mother-in-law. Um, and one thing I've been thinking about, and you know, it's nothing new. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. But you, what you, you know, but there are very few commercials that are arguing for a particular individual's platform or whatever it is. It's typically tearing someone down. And why is that? Well, I mean, those commercials, quite frankly, are more entertaining, right? Um, they're funny, that, so we're, we're likely to listen to them. And um, there's a certain kind of in, um, intrigue uh, when you start to say bad things about someone else, right? So the bent of our heart is to be interested or intrigued in the sin or the failures of other people. You think about it if you watch the news or if you listen to sports radio, we love to criticize those who are in leadership. It's just part of what we do. That's what makes sports radio so great is people call in and criticize the head coach. It's something that we're very accustomed to and something that can be very therapeutic in some ways. But what God is saying is that that kind of talk there's no room for that in our family. There's no room for that among brothers and sisters. There's no room for words that tear down. There's no room for words that hurt. There's no room for discouragement among brothers and sisters. We're called to love one another by building one another up. And so there's a few different ways we can build each other up, right? We can speak specific words of encouragement. You know, for someone like me, and um, this has been uh, really helpful for me as I think about it, um, some of us pride ourselves on being critical people, having a critical mind, and being able to pick out what's wrong or what should be better. Um, but the problem with that is you're not truly a critical thinker or you, you don't truly have a critical mind if you can only point out the bad and never point out what's good and what's right. 
And so I know for me, I can be quick to criticize particular things in other individuals, but be slow to share specific encouragements with them. So this is something that for those who are married, this probably comes up a lot, right? It's easy to kind of nitpick on the things that are frustrating to you, um, but it's not always, um, you're not always clear about how your spouse has served you well or about how they're gifted, how God is using them in the life of the church. So one way we can show love to one another with our words is to share specific encouragements, to say things like, hey, this past Sunday I saw you praying with so-and-so to offer them some encouragement. Thank you for doing that. You are such a good example to me of what it looks like to be someone who builds up the body of Christ. Um, For someone who is very quick to pray or send an encouraging text, to thank them for it. To say, when you do that, you are building up the body of Christ. Another way we can love one another with our words is sometimes to not say any. James tells us that we are to be quick to hear and slow to speak. It's not often the default, right? Often we are quick to speak. You know, I think of myself so often when I'm listening to someone, I'm thinking about what is the next thing I'm going to say in response to the words they're sharing. And sure, that might make conversation move along a little bit more smoothly. Maybe there's fewer awkward pauses. But God is calling us to listen to one another so that we can respond um, accurately, so that we can actually understand what's on the hearts of our brothers and sisters, and so that we can respond accordingly. One other way we can love with our words is by simply communicating that we love one another. You know, some of us grew up in homes where we heard I love you a lot. Others of us, that wasn't, um, that wasn't something that we heard all the time. But no matter who you are, it's always good to know that there is someone that loves you. So even though it might feel maybe, you know, for some of us a little weird or a little awkward to leave a friend's house and say, I love you, it's important that we communicate that we actually do love one another. So there's many ways that we can love each other with our words, um, but we can also love indeed. And that's the third category where we can show love. Jesus says this in John 15. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. See, Jesus did the greatest deed that could ever be done by laying down his life. And when he laid down his life, yes, we can see that as a model for how we should live our lives in the family of God, right? God is calling us to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But what's really important for us to understand here Christ is not merely giving us a model. Christ is doing something for us. By Christ laying down his life, he is enabling us and empowering us to actually lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, if we haven't repented, we haven't trusted in Christ to rescue us from the death of our sin, we can try as hard as we can to show love to those around us but we'll never be able to do it fully. We'll never be able to do it the way Christ has done it. Christ laid down his life so that we can show genuine love to our brothers and sisters. And so what that means is that repentance and faith in Christ, it's a prerequisite for genuine love. If you're here and you've never experienced the saving power of Jesus Christ, 
You can try as hard as you can to show genuine, selfless love. And there will be times that you do, um, you show acts of service, you show acts of love, but to be a consistently genuine, authentic lover of other people, we need to have our hearts changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so for those of us that have been changed by the gospel, we can now begin to think about what are some ways that we can love others indeed. And there's plenty of ways, a lot of ways, but here's maybe two ways we can think about. One would be our money. You know, God has gifted some of us with a lot of money. He's gifted some of us with a little bit of money, but we all need money to live, right? But there are probably some of us here who have more than what we need. And so um, it's important for us to be on the lookout for ways we can serve needs here among the body with our money. You know, sometimes we, we wonder, um, you know, is it, would it be wise of me, would it be right of me to give money to someone in a particular circumstance? And there is wisdom. Um, we need to think through, you know, what are the implications of giving money to a friend? We should think through and ask God for wisdom in that. But I would encourage you, uh, as I encourage myself, if we feel the tug in our hearts to share something with someone, um, perhaps, you know, whether it's money or some kind of material thing, to lean into that, to not shy away from it, but to ask the Lord, make it clear, is this something that you're calling me to give to a brother or a sister in need? Especially um, as Americans, we can be quick to hold on to what we have so that we can be safe and secure. But for those of us that have the means to bless others with our money, God is calling us to be a blessing to them. And then I would encourage those of you who are on the receiving end of a blessing to allow others to bless you. You know, God wants us to, to bless other people, but we can only bless other people if they'll allow us to bless them. And so if you're on the receiving end of a gift, whatever that might be, thank the Lord for it and allow others to bless you. So that's one way we can lay down our lives. Another way we can do it is our time. And I think sometimes this is the more difficult one. You know, with money, it can be a one-time sort of thing. But with time, it tends to be a over-the-long-haul sort of thing, something that I know I really struggle with. If you're anything like me, um, you like to have a schedule, and when that schedule gets um, kind of out of balance or something comes up, it can be really frustrating. I think about one time, I was heading down to the Alpha Care Banquet um, down uh, in Philadelphia. And this was before Kels and I were married. Uh, we'd been dating for maybe a month and a half. Um, and so I was really excited to see her. Um, we, you know, we, she was living in Delaware at the time, so we'd only see each other maybe once a week. So I was so excited. You know, I dressed up, looking sharp, can't wait to see her at the banquet. And I'm driving on Lincoln Drive, which is precarious already. And um, it just so happened that at the time they had milled Lincoln Drive. Um, and if you don't know anything about Lincoln Drive, obviously it's really tight. Um, you know, it's two lanes. The speed limit's like 25 miles an hour and everyone's going like 60 miles an hour. Um, but every, I don't know what it is, probably every like 500 feet or so, there's like, there's these grates. I don't know if they're drainage grates or something like that. And so, you know, the genius construction workers, when they were milling the road, um, didn't think about these grates that stick up this much higher than the road they just milled. So I'm driving in my, my little car and hit one of the, you know, you can't, you can't swerve. I hit one of those grades and immediately I knew that I had a flat tire. Thankfully, by God's grace, I was at one section where there is a pull-off on Lincoln Drive. I didn't have to drive for miles before getting off the road. 
But I was so angry. Things like that make me so frustrated because I had it all planned out in my mind. I'm going to leave at this time. I'm going to get to the banquet at this time. I'm going to see Kels, and it's going to be one of the best nights of my life. And here I am in the rain on Lincoln Drive with a flat tire. And I'm not, I'm not a car guy, so I'm like, there's no way I'm fixing this. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, Jeremy came and picked me up on the way down. Um, so I, I got there. It was a good banquet. Kelsey and I got married, so everything worked out. <laughs> but I think about the flat tires in my life. And we all have those experiences where something happens that we just can't afford for it to happen right then and there. And sometimes we can start to view the needs of others as flat tires, as inconveniences to us. But what God is calling us in this passage to do is to give up our time, to take a little time to sit down across the table from someone and listen to their struggles to listen to their burdens, to listen to how they are suffering. God is calling us to take a little bit of time to help that person that um, needs some work on their car or needs some work on their house. God is calling us to take some time, to take a meal to someone, um, even if we're not the best cook, but to serve them in that way. God is calling us to give our time to other people, to show love to them, now, I think a few important caveats with this is sometimes we can hear this call to sacrifice and we can be burdened by it. We can be overwhelmed because we think of people that are burned themselves out by doing so much. And it's important to remember that with sacrifice, you know, God has modeled sacrifice for us, but God has also modeled rest for us. And so if you're here and you know in good conscience you have been giving so much of yourself and you're feeling like you're on the edge of burning out, Remember that God is also calling you to rest, to find rest in Christ. You don't always have to be the person who is the savior for other people. God is also calling you, if you have a family, to prioritize your spouse, to prioritize your children, to not neglect them as you care for others. So I want to be careful not to overwhelm us with the call to sacrifice. But God is calling us to love one another with our resources, with our time, with our actions. So we see we're called to love in thought, in word, in deed. And then we see the results of it. And we'll close here with the results of our obedience or our disobedience to the command. Look with me in verse 9. It says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. So we see the result here. If you love your brothers and sisters, you will live in the light. That's the result. You'll be walking in the light. You see, Jesus Christ, the true light, he is already shining. We don't have to worry about that light shining. He is already shining. But when we show love to our brothers and sisters, we show that we're just keeping in step with Christ. We are walking in the light that he has shown. We show that we have hearts that love the light and run far away from the darkness. When we walk in love for God's family, we show that we have fellowship with God. This means that as we grow in our love for God's family, we're actually growing in our love for the Lord. 
You think about it, sometimes you hear about people that in order to um, grow in love for God, they kind of sequester themselves from the world. It's just going to be me and God. That's all. I'm going to spend you know, all day reading my Bible. I'm going to memorize. And those things are really good things, right? And there's a time and place for solitude, to be alone. But if that's all our life is, we've missed the point. God is telling us in order to love him, we must show love to others. In order to love others, God is saying we must love him. God is calling us to love others, and as we love others, we grow in our love for the Lord. And so if you're here and you say, I want to grow in my love for my father, one way to do that is to grow in your love for your brothers and sisters. And as you grow in that love, you will grow in your love for the Lord. So you'll walk in the light, you'll grow in your love for the Lord, and you'll also not stumble. We see that in verse, uh, in verse 10. There is no cause for stumbling. Well, what does John mean by that? Well, stumbling always carries this, this uh, idea of harm to oneself. If you stumble, you've been harmed in some way. And in this case, um, that stumbling and that harm would be falling into some kind of sin. You think earlier in uh, the book of 1 John, John is warning against, uh, he's warning this particular group of people about another group of people that have denied that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They've denied the commandments that God has given to them. So John is saying, as you love your brothers and sisters, as you walk in the light, you won't fall into that same trap. You can rest assured that you will persevere in your faith in Christ. So what does this mean? Well, it means that if you want to persevere in your faith, persevere in your love for your brothers and sisters. If we want to go all the way home, God is calling us to continue in love. So that's the result when we do love one another. But what's the flip side? What's the result when we hate one another? Well, we see that we live in darkness. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So the result of hating our brothers and sisters is living in darkness. And what are the implications of that? You know, why is it bad? And, you know, obviously, it sounds bad to live in darkness, but why is that not good for us? Well, we see here that we won't have fellowship with God. Look in the last chapter, chapter 1, verse 6. John says, If we say we have fellowship with him, speaking about God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So John is saying, if, if we say we have fellowship with God, or walking in darkness, we're liars. We don't have fellowship with God. John is saying, if you hate your brother, you're walking in darkness. Therefore, you don't have fellowship with God. See, if your life, if my life, is characterized by hatred towards brothers and sisters, by a lack of love toward brothers and sisters, we really have little reason to believe that our faith and love for God is genuine. John is saying that we prove we are walking in light. We prove we are walking in faith when we love one another. 
So we see we won't have fellowship with God, but furthermore, we'll be lost. You see that at the end of verse 11. Uh, He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. See, the person who hates is blinded by their sin and has absolutely no idea where he or she is going. Think of it like this. Uh, Let's say we took this half of the room and after the gathering, we dismissed, um, but we made all of you guys put blindfolds on. Say, all right, go ahead, go home. Probably wouldn't get very far, right? You would be confused, disoriented. You'd be stumbling around, walking over things, walking into traffic. It would be impossible for you to make it all the way home when you're walking blind, when you're walking in the darkness. Well, that's what John is communicating here. That those who hate their brother or sister, they'll be blind. There's no chance that they could persevere to the end and make it all the way home. See, we prove we're walking in the light when we love one another. And the flip side is true. We prove we are walking in darkness when we hate one another. So what does that mean? The good news is, that there's hope for each and every one of us, right? See, as those who are sinful people, Christ died to rescue us from our lack of love. Christ died to rescue us from our hatred of brother and sister. Christ died so that we could be reconciled. If we think, if we as sinners, as enemies of God, can be reconciled to a holy and perfect God, how much more then can God reconcile us to each other? So we don't end on a note of hopelessness. We end on a hope. We end on a note of hope, knowing that Jesus takes dead things and makes them alive. Jesus takes broken things and makes them whole. Jesus takes these old sinful things and he makes them new. And so I urge you, if you're here and you have always struggled with love for others, consider whether or not your faith in Christ is genuine. If you're here and you know that you're a follower of Christ, but you're like me and you struggle to love one another, we still need the grace of God, right? We need God's grace to continue to perfect us because our love for each other will not be perfect until we make it all the way home. But God is calling us to struggle to take one small step at, time, one step at a time so that we might grow in love for our brothers and sisters, so that we might grow in love for God himself. May God grant us grace to love others as he has loved us. Jen Starkey will come now um, and lead us in a prayer of application. Lord, you are holy, and yet you've spoken to us this morning. You've spoken to us through our brother in the faith, John, and then through Justin. And we are reminded how feeble we are. We can't uphold our own lives, let alone love each other well. 
And we know now, we're reminded that there is a true light shining, and yet there's still so much darkness. And so we praise you that you are this light that will overcome the darkness when we can't, outside of us and inside of us. Thank you for giving us new eyes, that you revealed yourself in your creation, you revealed yourself in Christ, you revealed yourself in your word, and I pray that you are revealing yourself to each one of us by your spirit this morning. I pray, Lord, that as we leave, you would remind us how you've made each one of us and how you have defined us, Father, that we are images of God, that we are children of God. Give us eyes to see one another well and truthfully. Give us thoughts that are after your thoughts that echo how you think of us. We praise you, Jesus, that you are the word of God, that you are the incarnate revelation of our Savior. And so we, we pray that we would be witnesses in that same way, that we would learn what it means to encourage to be slow to speak, to speak truthfully and rightly, to keep things to ourselves, if need be. And we pray, Holy Spirit, knowing that we have this word, that we know who our God is, who is bringing us out of this darkness, who is stamping this word onto our heart, even as we listen to it, um, who is enabling us and empowering us to genuinely love one another because we have been found in the darkness. We have repented. We have placed our faith in Christ. Teach us what it means to lean into truly sacrificial Christ-like giving. We thank you again that you are overcoming the darkness and that we are witnesses to it and that we are instruments in it. We ask for your protection we ask that you'd give us perseverance. We thank you that you are a God of reconciliation, of life, of wholeness, of all that is good. Teach us to trust you and sanctify us in your love as we know you already are. If we don't know this, Lord, invite us now by your Holy Spirit to learn. We praise you and we love you in Christ's name. Amen.